The views and comments expressed on the Space Show by its guests, callers, and listeners belong to them. The Space Show and its hosts serve only as a platform and are not responsible for others' comments or views. All topics discussed on the Space Show are primarily for educational purposes. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Sunday Space Show redo. <laughs> That's because I clicked the wrong button and turned the live broadcast off, and this is on me. And Gary, uh, our guest today, has patiently uh, said it was okay for me to repeat the introduction. I'll try to do it real quick. Uh, this is our Sunday Space Show program. Thank you very much for tuning in. And uh, no, I don't normally make that mistake, but uh, we're glad all of you are here. So, um, real quick, this is a full-length space show program, and uh, I guess for announcements, I'll do this real quick for next week. On uh, Tuesday, we have the CEO of the new Las Vegas spaceport, uh, Dr. Ethan Siegel, is our guest again on Friday, and Sam Wilson of Aerospace Corp. is on Sunday talking about priorities for the U.S. Space Force. And um, uh, please remember that this is a uh, non-profit, uh, listener-supported program. So we really do depend on you, the listeners, to financially support the show, and we thank you very much for doing that. Uh, in the upper right corner of our homepage, thespaceshow.com, there is a PayPal link, and that's the easiest way to support us. If you use Zelle, then you can uh, email to david at onegiantleapfoundation.org. And then if you are also sending a check, it is made payable to One Giant Leap Foundation, and it mails to us in Las Vegas. That address is all over our website, the PayPal button. And if you need uh, help from me, please email me at drspace at thespaceshow.com, and uh, I appreciate that. Uh, our sponsors, who get a banner ad running across the homepage, and at the end of this show, I'll read sponsor messages. Our Northrop Grumman, AIAA, Helix Space in Luxembourg, the National Space Society, Celestis, Astrox, Dr. Ben Arroyo and his great lunar books, and the Space Foundation. If you want more information about being a sponsor, please email me at drspace at thespaceshow.com, and uh, uh, I appreciate that. And... Uh, our guest today uh, is Gary Barnhart. So many of you know Gary from the National Space Society. He is the owner and president of Extraordinary Innovative Space Partnerships, which is a cis-lunar mission development company. Also, he has Barnard Associates, LLC, a systems engineering consulting and Internet service provider. Uh, he's located in Cabin John, Maryland. Uh, Gary is also a robotic uh, computer and space systems engineer, and his professional work includes a wide range of robotic, space, and computer systems engineering work. He has a full bio, which is very impressive, uh, 
which many of his additional activities and accomplishments. I urge you to read it on our Space Show website page for this program. Uh, but we definitely want to talk with Gary rather than to have me read about him. And uh, again, when the show ends, please don't leave uh, because I do want to read our sponsor messages and uh, we would not be doing this program without the great support of our sponsors. You too can be a sponsor. For details, email me at drspace at thespaceshow.com. Gary, welcome to the Space Show, and uh, how are you today? And thank you for your patience in allowing me a restart for my screw-up. Not a problem, David. It's a pleasure to be here. Happy to uh, you know, share some uh, you know, thoughts of the day. Uh, in particular, what I'm here um, uh, to uh, address is what I'm have entitled the Space Station Freedom Redux. Rearchitecting the International Space Station as a space solar power technology development demonstration uh, platform. Uh, this is you know work that uh, has come out of paper and presentations that I've given at the International Astronautical Congress, uh, you know previously, and um, I guess one of the you know in by way of an introduction, this is a discussion about outcomes and the choices we collectively make that cause those outcomes to come to pass. Accordingly, the responsibility for the contents of you know, what I have to say here rests solely uh, you know, with me. Um, and what we're, uh, uh, where we're uh, you know, going with this is that um, you know, uh, there is uh, an, an interesting element of current uh, uh, NASA policy. The International Space Station must die. The points beyond, uh, you know, artificial reef, uh, known as Point Nemo in the Pacific Ocean is the planned resting place for the remains of the International Space Station after, uh, the orbits, you know, uh, circa 2031. While the date is not certain, the outcome is presumed to be a matter of settled policy. Um, what, you know, well, what are the assumptions driving this outcome? Uh, the um, uh, you know the original uh, you know components of ISS were built 30 or more years ago, and therefore they must be aging out. Uh, the um, multiple components have failed and have either had to be replaced or worked around. The success of the ISS's intended commercial replacements is predicated on the ISS going away. While the date is not certain, the outcome is presumed to be a matter of settled policy. There is too much risk associated with allowing commercial entities to continue to operate the ISS. The ISS costs too much to operate and maintain. The ISS ownership is too complicated to be allow the transfer of ownership. These assumptions, you know, uh, have, you know, some, you know, some grounding in terms of, uh, you know, past precedent experience and arguably seem logical uh, to a significant degree. But what happens when you test them? Uh, you could think of it as uh, why are the dis driving assumptions wrong, at least from, if you forgive the uh, uh, analogy to, uh, you, know, uh, you know, science fiction media, from a certain point of view. Uh, Taking them down uh, through the list that I offered, 
you know, just because infrastructure is old does not mean it must be replaced. There are many, uh, you know, substantive pieces of, uh, of infrastructure, uh, that, you know, effectively have an indefinite life. I, uh, you know, I had, at one point I had an opportunity to go into a structure that was built in, uh, you know, 410 AD. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, the, uh, the notion that something, you know, uh, that, that something is old doesn't necessarily mean it must be replaced. All elements of infrastructure require periodic inspection, maintenance, and potential replacement. That's not a surprise. Okay? That's part, you know, that's how you, uh, uh, you know, how you maintain infrastructure. The, uh, success of low earth orbit infrastructure is predicated on the return on investment achieved. If elements of the ISS can be used to buy down risk, uh, the uh, uh, return on investment is increased. So from a commercial standpoint, you know, uh, the, the presence or absence of, of, of ISS, uh, you know, is, uh, is, is not a binary issue. Okay. Uh, the um, uh, NASA did a... Um, ISS limited life parts study. They confirmed that there are no life limited parts on ISS. They cannot be repaired or replaced for as long as there exists the political will to do so. Uh, there's going to be a, you know commercial space station operators, regardless of what is done, you know, with respect to ISS. And ISS was intended to have an evolving level of automation and autonomy from the start. Realizing this, uh, you know, will, uh, can and will change the cost to operate. And the notion is that the space station freedom components can be reconfigured with any other elements, uh, that are not put to another use. So there is what it amounts to when you compare the, uh, uh, what amounts to being the, uh, uh conventional wisdom or rationale for why it is that, uh, now uh, the ISS, you know, must die, uh, and you test the, you know, uh, what uh, constitutes the driving assumptions. It's my assertion that the conventional wisdom is flat out wrong. Uh, and, uh, however, uh, there are, uh, there is a real problem. Hey, Gary. Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting questions for you, so. Oh, please. So can I, uh, can yes, I let's, step let's, in? Uh, let's roll as we go. Okay, well, here's, here's one that's pretty timely from Todd in San Diego. And he says, um, are you expecting that any conversion to using this for SSP or some other process would happen upon and after the NASA official expiration date, or should it be in preparation now? Actually, uh, you know, uh, you know, Todd wasn't shilling for the presentation, but that's essentially the, uh, you know, the, you know, the next, the next thing. It isn't, uh, it has, it's not something that happens overnight. Okay. What we need, what needs to happen with respect to the ISS is it must evolve both in form and function with respect to its ability to support what I call technology development, demonstration, and deployment missions. This is something um, that, uh, you know, is, uh, you know, can, you know, begin now, okay? And 
it a priori does not assume a uh, that a uh, particular outcome is required, but that we make the modifications to allow for a uh, a wider range of operations you know on the station. That is going to mean that we're going to uh, you know have. You know, with respect to managing microgravity applications, we're going to have to, you know, uh, go and take advantage of the the new intended commercial modules and the diaspora the same uh, with respect to uh, you know other uh, you know commercial uh, you know Leo platforms. Uh, you know, we're going to have to go through and uh, you know uh, evolve the oper- the uh, interoperating vehicle rules. Okay, we're going to have to figure out what it means to uh, co-orbit or uh, uh, formation fly, you know, with, with the space station. So the, there's a whole series of things in terms of how, and also in how how we deal with uh, the uh, evolving the level of automation autonomy for every, literally for every system and subsystem on the station. There's an opportunity there to press forward with that, uh, with that work. And it turns out that that's absolutely in line with what we need to do for Gateway uh, and uh, the, uh, you know, the evolving lunar campaign and, uh, you know, on, on the Mars as well. We have to feel, we, we have to go through and figure out how to deal uh, with uh, control systems for systems for uh, systems of systems that allow a mutable locus of control from effectively, uh, you know, uh, full, uh, you know, full teleoperation or manual control up through full autonomy in every gradation in between, uh, you know, on a, on a mutable basis. But the, the notion that, you know, the station can be a laboratory for that, uh, you know, uh, it happens to be, uh, you know, conveniently located uh, about 400 kilometers uh, you know, above our heads, uh, you know, is, you know, makes, makes it a, uh, uh, you know, a, an easy target in those regards. I've got another question for you. Sure. And this is Benny in Denver. And he says, in the process of this evolution and in the outcome, what do you do with the national lab? That's a pretty amazing national asset. Do you let it go or what happens to the national lab? You use it. The national lab is actually a designation. Uh, for uh, the uh, uh, the uh, the U.S. and uh, international partners, per, well, the the U.S. provided portion of the station uh, that um, you know is you know uh, is responsible for allocating uh, you know uh, approximately 50 percent of the station uh, station resources for various research projects. Now, I think it you know those you know uh, you know that's part of uh, that. The, the laboratory environment there is part of the infrastructure, and I think that we can go through and, in cooperation with our uh, with our international partners, uh, you know the uh, uh, there are other resources uh, that you know clearly uh, can endure. Uh, there are a number of you know elements of the uh, station, particularly some of the earlier uh, you know you know elements that we uh, purchased from the Russians. Uh, that uh, may, uh, you know, may, uh, you know, indeed have to be retired. Uh, you know, but what we what we need to go off and do is, in each instance, 
think about you know what what's the most useful uh, you know evolution uh, for them. Uh, listeners, Gary's presentation is on our blog in three different formats, so you can easily link to either one of them, uh, and and you'll uh, have a, at least a, a quick look at what he's talking about as we're doing the uh, the program today. Um, do you have any feedback? from NASA on any of this yet? Because you, you've been promoting this for a little bit of time, right? Yeah, the answer is there's been a willingness uh, in uh, you know, NASA senior management to take the meetings. Uh, the, uh, you know, I went through my contacts uh, you know, with respect to senior management and uh, you know, broached the idea. Uh, the... The point is, uh, you know, with respect to this, is is that we have time to manage the outcomes. As I introduced, uh, you know, this this discussion, if we start doing things now, we can make, you know, we can make choices. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe this is something that, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, this this evolution, uh, you know will happen in, in many forms, but, you know, as I said, uh, you know, we do know that the real problem is that the, the station must evolve in both form and function. Uh, we must, uh, you know, be able to metastasize it in support of the commercial diasporia uh, of, uh, of capabilities. Uh, it is indeed possible for it to become a, uh, uh, you know, technology demonstration deployment mission test bed. You know, not only for space solar power, but also uh, HTO-based uh, uh, propulsion. Basically, we can work our way around, uh, you know, the, uh, the phase diagram of water uh, and better understand how we can, uh, you know, uh, support a wide range of, uh, you know, green and advanced propulsion systems. Also, as I noted, uh, this uh, notion of... Uh, Supporting work on orchestrated symbiosis for shared control between humans, robots, and advanced autonomy. You know, the ISS can become an operations center, a construction shack, a logistics node, as well as an emergency waypoint. You know, it's you know one of the interesting things is as a uh, fall off or uh, a byproduct of uh, you know this uh, you know, so-called TDQ mission work is the ISS can have its orbital altitude raised and be relocated as necessary using the right technology and alternate minimum energy trajectories. The, uh, for those that might not be familiar, um, you know, they're, you know, uh, off of the West Coast that tends to be described more as weak stability boundary transitions. You know, on uh, the East Coast, uh, you know, Ed Bell Bruno, one of the reigning rock stars in orbital dynamics, views it as ballistic uh, you know, uh, you know, escape trajectories. Uh, there's another, uh, you know, school uh, uh, of thought uh, which you know, views it as uh, alternate minimum energy tra- trajectories. But the bottom line is, is that if you, given a combination of a long duration low thrust propulsion capability, a short duration high thrust propulsion capability, a willingness to, um, you know, allow time to be a variable and uh, a willingness to do the math, you can arrange for dramatically lower uh, delta V or, uh, you know, energy requirements for moving 
uh, you know, objects in space, not just in terms of their altitude, uh, you know, in, a, in an orbital situation, uh, but also even inclination. Uh, the, um, uh, a simple um, example of that uh, was I was doing, uh, you know, some analysis for our, what was known as the Alpha CubeSat, you know, project, which is a small CubeSat that was intended to go, uh, you know, out past, uh, you know, one million, uh, you know, kilometers, uh, run a series of tests, and then cycle back through the, uh, you know, uh, you know Earth-Moon uh, L2 point and end up in a stable orbit around the moon. And uh, the transition between tra- traditional, uh, you know, uh, orbital trajectory approaches, the so-called Holman transfer, and the, uh, you know, an alternate minimum energy trajectory solution resulted in a uh, approach that would reduce the delta V requirements by uh, over an order of magnitude. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, that's a, you know, a rather extraordinary outcome. And, uh, you know, the, uh, we do, um, uh, for the ISS, in order to utilize this approach, one, uh, you know, this idea of a, uh, you know, an H2O-based propulsion or advanced propulsion test bed would be uh, a natural part of that. Also, NASA's already funding uh, what amounts to being a, uh, you know, a com- a, an approach uh, for, um, you know, using the thruster uh, capabilities uh, and uh, with some augment, uh, you know, uh, leveraging, uh, you know, SpaceX and Northrop Grumman, you know, resources in those regards with respect to, uh, you know, pressurized logistics carriers. So there is, um, uh, you know, not only is it, uh, is it possible, the, the tool, the same tools that ostensibly NASA is listing as, uh, tools for deorbiting could also be used, uh, to, uh, you know, actually raise the orbit in relocating it as necessary. Let me along you. with the advanced notions that I was describing. Let me give you um, a... Also, you know, ultimately the ISS could become a human heritage museum. And, uh, you know, any elements that are no longer serviceable could be uh, reduced to feedstock for additive manufacturing, for God's sakes. You know, any of this, any of these outcomes would be better than, you know, uh, you know uh, splashing it into, uh, you know, Point Nemo. Let me uh, give you another question from Ted in Chicago. He says, when you refer to ISS, is that with or without the Russian components? Because they may pull theirs out and leave it. How does that change things? And also, what would it do in a space solar power demonstration platform? Where would it get the SSP energy to from, and where would it beam it? Well, first off, uh, the uh, with respect to the station, there's a uh, uh, the the station was actually designed, uh, you know, and was originally part of its baseline uh, to include a uh, uh, you know a 200 kW solar dynamic. Uh, system, uh, you know, update in addition to the, uh, to the solar arrays. Uh, so the answer is, is that, uh, what we would go off and do is use the existing and augmented, uh, you know, power, uh, you know, power generation capabilities of the station. The, uh, space station bus, you know, power bus did not change when, uh, the, uh, you know, the solar dynamic augment was deferred. Uh, the, um, uh, so the, so there's not, you know, that doesn't, sh- you know, uh, wouldn't require fundamentally our, 
alteration, you know, of the architecture. Some will be some rewiring, uh, you know, of the, uh, uh, you know, of the bus of the bus connections. Right now, there's eight strings that, you know, uh, you know that might, um, uh, you know, uh, involve some additional. Uh, it would involve some additional switch gear to, uh, you know, uh, you know, handle those augments. But it is, it's already. Uh, you know, it, it was already baked into uh, the design to be able to uh, to do that. Um, the uh, you know what uh, with respect to the uh, Russian portions of it, there uh, there are two things. One, uh, the uh, uh, there's one module which we um, uh, which NASA had Boeing buy from the Russians. Okay, which belongs to us. Uh, and the uh, other elements uh, could, uh, you know, either be, uh, you know, uh, you know, deprecated by other uh, other pieces that that are added, uh, or uh, you know, kept, uh, you know, uh, you know, updated, you know, as necessary. Basically, the uh, you know, if you think of it, the space station freedom design, uh, you know, was. Uh, uh, you know, existed before, uh, you know, before there was a, uh, you know, a Russian contribution to the station. And, uh, what, uh, you know, that would provide, if, if they did, uh, you know, if they did choose to, uh, you know, leave in those regards, um, you know, uh, it's, uh, you know, it would be part, you know, just part of the evolution that would be necessary in terms of the control systems, uh, the, uh, the Russian components do provide a, an additional level of redundancy with respect to communications and, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, and attitude control in those regards. We're, but we're on a, we're on a path where, uh, you know, we can, you know, work with them, uh, you know, or not. Uh, a, an interesting thing about dealing with the Russians that, that I've learned over the years, uh, was, uh, uh, a, a curious antidote. It turns out um, Kumbaya doesn't translate into Russian. However, playing a damn good game of chess does. Okay. Um, so what does that tell you? What that tells us is is that, uh, you know, for, for example, uh, when... Um, uh, the initial work was being done uh, for the International Space Station. Uh, there was a, uh, the uh, nucleus that the station would be built around was a, um, uh, a Russian-provided element, and there was a uh, great deal of concern that the Russians were falling behind schedule and you know, that they weren't going to come through in time. Uh, the... Um, uh, NASA came up with a uh, you know an interesting approach to this. They uh, cut a deal uh, with the Air Force uh, for um, uh, you know a uh, flight, flight qualified uh, you know uh, you know spacecraft bus uh, that happened to have been used uh, for uh, by keyhole satellites, as it would happen. Uh, the uh, that's you know, uh, you know, had, uh, you know, all of the necessary, you know, uh, you know, properties, uh, that, uh, you know, would be, uh, you know, that the Russian element would, would require. Uh, and so they went and bought one. 
and uh, you know the uh, you know the uh, it turns out that, uh, as soon as the Russians found out about that, uh, there was no problem with respect to meeting any of the uh, deadlines and deliverables uh, that were required for the program uh, to move things along. Uh, so that's you know uh, you know the so-called interim control module. Uh, you know, uh, last I saw it is hanging out in a massive crate in uh, the uh, Naval Research Lab. Uh, the, um, but that's a, that's a concrete example of, uh, you know, the analogy that I was referring to. Um, interesting. Uh, Sally is in uh, Detroit, and she says, I'm still not understanding what it does as a solar power technology development platform. Is it going to take power from solar paddle satellites and send it back down to Earth? What what exactly is the role that you're trying to describe? What it is serving as is a test bed uh, for each aspect of the end-to-end power generation, storage, uh, transmission, distribution, and control. It would start off going through and uh, for the power generation, testing out alternative, uh, you know, uh, you know, different, uh, you know, solar cells, solar concentrator, uh, you know, uh, approaches for, um, you know, generating power, you know, from the sun. Uh, it's a whole lot easier to worry about, uh, you know, dealing with such things if all if everything else is taken care of, and all you have to do is worry about your generation experiments, uh, and you rely on the, you know, the, you know, this treating this the ISS essentially as a as the spacecraft bus for that experiment. Uh, the uh, with respect to um, you know storage, going through and being able to test in an operational environment, uh, you know how it is that. You, uh, you know, you manage the, uh, the evolution of power storage systems. Right now, the space station has, uh, uh, has, you know, uh, evolved its batteries to lithium ion solutions. There's significant advances going beyond that. Being able to test them in the space environment, uh, you know, uh, you know, could be extraordinarily useful in those regards. With respect to the, uh, uh, the transmission, being able to, uh, you know, uh, initially do space-to-space transfers from uh, the space station to co-orbiting or free-flying, uh, you know, laboratories that would, uh, you know, uh, be able to be, uh, you know, uh, configured at the station, dispatched into either a co-orbiting um, or formation-flying uh, you know, location uh, and where you could provide power and ancillary services from the station, uh, you know, on, you know, uh, to support uh, augments required uh, for, um, uh, for the experiments. This can be useful for whenever you need a, uh, a more stringent microgravity environment or you have experiments that require different safety regimes. Uh, you know, the, uh, and right now we have, that's, uh, you know, uh, leveraging our experience, uh, with interoperating, ve- interoperating vehicles with the space station right now. We have pressurized logistics carriers, uh, that, uh, you know, come up to the station, uh, are, uh, you know, 
uh, you know, docked or could be birthed either way uh, with, with the station, uh, you know, uh, and are offloaded uh, in terms of their cargo. They could be, uh, you know, outfitted at that point with a set of experiments, uh, a, uh, a robotic, uh, you know, compatible, uh, you, know, you know, interface, you know, module attached to them. They could then be redeployed. Uh, you know, for, uh, you know, some number of cycles, uh, for, uh, you know, experimental purposes and then, uh, uh, you know, pre- you know, used as a, uh, uh, you know, uh, return the, uh, you know, control interfaces to, uh, to the station and then, uh, you know, the, uh, pressurized logistics carrier could be, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, could, could re-enter, uh, you know, as appropriate. Uh, there, um, uh, there's also, uh, a number of interesting applications with respect to, uh, you know, power beaming and uh, uh, what amounts to being situational awareness and management of orbital debris. Uh, you know, the uh, one of the uh, uh, you know one of the things that uh, you know, just like in uh, in radar systems, where what your uh, uh, a large part of how radar works is. You're capturing the reflections of projected beams. Uh, the, uh, if you go through and you're trying to worry about managing orbital debris, uh, you can use the, uh, you know, power uh, in ancillary services, you know, beaming to, uh, you know, uh, project and better identify, uh, you know, the presence of orbital debris. In some cases, uh, you may be able uh, to. Uh, uh, go through and, uh, you know, ablate the debris or cause it, uh, to, uh, you know, alter its orbital, uh, you know, uh, orbital trajectory so that it re-enters or at least, uh, is in a, uh, is moved to an environment, uh, that would be less hazardous. Uh, they, as you, there's also, uh, many multiple applications where you might have swarms of satellites that could benefit uh, from, uh, in certain instances, from a power augment. Um, the, um, uh, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, there's been a lot of issues with respect to the potential for uh, doing things like jamming satellites. Um, your, you know, most uh, approaches to jamming satellites are based on, you know, what is the presumed ability of uh, you know the uh, transmitting power of a uh, of a particular satellite, if you could suddenly dramatically increase that on demand, uh, your the ability of uh, you know any any particular approach to jamming those satellites you know would be severely compromised, if not totally mitigated. Uh, there is uh, you know a, a range of instances where you may have, um, uh, you know, experiments or even operational services that can benefit from essentially unbundling power systems, splitting up of uh, the uh, power generation, uh, you know, storage, uh, transmission, distribution, and control, reallocating it between, uh, you know, you know, between different locations. So there are multiple opportunities. Where you can, uh, you know, utilize it, and uh, quite frankly, uh, you know, this can also extend to, uh, you know, space, to, uh, 
to airborne assets and space-to-earth assets uh, for uh, for testing in those regards. Uh, the idea being is is that uh, you've got uh, a significantly larger uh, you know uh, available power platform uh, than uh, uh, you know any um, uh, you know any modest single launch uh, uh, you know capability could field. How many? Excuse me. What would the crew size be? Would it be similar to what it is today, or would it be more or less? Uh, it could be. Sig- uh, you know, I think it would vary. Okay, uh, the uh, uh, depending upon uh, you know what the specific requirements of experiments were, uh, it could. Uh, you know, uh, it could uh, it could be lower or higher. I think that um, uh, from the standpoint of you know uh, meeting the goals of supporting an evolving level of automation and autonomy, uh, what uh, you know what the role of the astronauts are, I think will uh, you know uh, you know also evolve, and you know that's that is both. You know, uh, you know, both an economic consideration. It's also uh, a technical consideration with respect to the efficacy of uh, the, uh, you know, uh, the, the the different you know experiments being done, and also um, really, uh, you know, what we need um, uh, for um, you know making most effective use of things. You know, astronaut time is one of your uh, uh, is most one of the most precious resources. You know, on uh, you know, on station now, and uh, we should figure out how to you know make the best the best use of it. You have a caller who wants to talk to you. Ready to take the call? Sure. A uh, high caller. Good. Good afternoon to you. Who are you? Where are you, please? Uh, this is Marshall. I'm still in Utah. Okay. Um, my key question is uh, the information of the International Space Station is rather high. Uh, would uh, is there any way to get the inclination back down to more equatorial, and uh, wouldn't that make it a lot more useful? The answer is yes, it can be. That was a, what I was alluding to earlier about the use of uh, you know uh, you know alternate minimum energy trajectories. To do so, uh, you know, requires basically you take a. Uh, a low thrust, long duration propulsion capability, a high thrust, short duration propulsion capability. You allow time to be a variable, and you do the math. And you can you can move the damn thing to whatever inclination you want or any altitude. Okay, but you've got to you you uh, to get there. Uh, we need uh, a uh, uh, you know an advanced propulsion test bed uh, for. Um, uh, for the you know uh, to to achieve it in the most you know desirable manner, the uh, capabilities that's being worked that uh, uh, NASA has funded uh, for uh, the uh, deorbiting purposes could also be used uh, you know in those uh, in those regards. The idea is is that you want to um, have a set of tools that are not just a one-off experiment. But actually, something that allows us to learn how to uh, deal with moving large structures in space, which is a part of what we have to deal deal with for space solar power, as well. Yeah. 
the, I was thinking uh, basically a set of ion engines and uh, taking two or three years to move it to something like a 20-degree inclination. Uh, would that make it more valuable to more people? The answer is is that moving to something along the lines of, you know, you know 28 28 degrees, which is, you know, in line with the, with the Cape and, uh, you know, not far off from, uh, uh, from Starbase and a number of other assets is probably, is probably optimal in terms of, uh, you know, uh, you know, being able to launch, you know, payloads to it. Uh, the, um, uh, for a lot of the, uh, automation autonomy experiments and the, um, uh, power uh, you know, uh, you know, space solar power experiments. Inclination is less of an issue. Uh, the uh, but what you want to go off and do is uh, you know help uh, help manage uh, you know the operational costs. Uh, and so, so uh, going through and you know uh, moving the inclination. The reason why it is what it is is was to accommodate uh, you know the Russian. Uh, participation in those regards, uh, so we can go uh, we can go either way. But the bottom line is, uh, low Earth orbit assets will evolve to be closer to the launching uh, sites that are involved. Uh, so it it will the inclination and focus of activities in low Earth orbit will uh, you know tend to be driven back to that, with the exception of what amounts to being. Um, uh, you know, science that, uh, you know, uh, a lot of Earth observation stuff is actually, uh, you know, more, more interested in, uh, some synchronous orbits and, uh, higher inclination stuff. Uh, there are, uh, you know, certainly possible that portions of the station could, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh metastasize, uh, you know, in that direction, uh, you know, as well. But, um, you know, we're, uh, uh, what I think we need to go off and do is have more rabbits to pull out of the hat in these regards, <laughs> okay, than less. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was my question. Thank you very much. Thank you, Marshall, for Welcome. your call. Uh, Bye. Listeners, you can give us a call if you would like, and uh, I'll give you the phone number if I can see where I put it. Wonderful, David. Um, 866 Six eight seven seven two two three. And that line is available. And email, of course, Doctor Space D R S P A C E at the Space Show dot com. Um, do the international partners want this, Gary, or is this strictly going to be America and we we buy out the international partners? Actually, it turns out that uh, the um uh, the European Space Agency is making a substantial investment in space solar power. Uh, the uh, you know uh, JAXA, uh, you know, and uh, the, the Japanese are also making a substantial investment in space solar power. Uh, and you know the uh, you know uh, the, the Canadians are very interested in you know having uh, you know the uh, the robotic elements uh, used and evolved. So. Um, the, uh, you know, I think we're, uh, uh, I think we can achieve a, you know, considerable alignment with our international partners. And then when you look at, you know, uh, way of thinking of this, you know, uh, the, thinking of the challenges of space uh, power beaming and ancillary services, 
is that there's a, a variety of what amounts to being arcs of opportunity. There's the space to space, uh, you know, uh, you know, evolution, uh, where we're, um, uh, you're, you're going through and serving a, you know, from, uh, low Earth orbit through, throughout, uh, you know, cislunar space. Uh, there's the surface to surface venue on, uh, for, for lunar activities. Uh, there's the space to the moon and asteroid surfaces, which are, uh, yet another venue. And then there's space to earth, the venue of space to earth applications. Uh, we're, you know, as we go through and we, um, you know, take on these arcs of opportunity, uh, you know, we are, there's a, there's a whole range of, uh, you know, applications. Our, uh, our partners will vary in those regards. But, uh, you know, there is the opportunities for public-private partnerships, uh, you know, at, uh, you know, at scale exist in all of these venues. You have another caller wanting to talk to you. Uh, good sure. afternoon, caller. Who are you and where are you today? Thank you very much for the call. Oh, uh, thank you, David. Uh, this is AJ from Washington, D.C. area. I guess actually Gary's Hi, area. Hi, AJ. Hey, AJ. Nice to hear from you. Yes, uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. Oh, very nice, uh, uh, and I absolutely agree with you what you what you are saying about ISS, and it really is ridiculous to uh, you know bring it down to Captain Nemo or whatever whatever other place. David the Jones is for, David Jones sorry? is David Jones's locker. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, the reason, of course, the the value of International Space Station is because of where it is. In other words. Uh, at 450 ton, which is what the mass of uh, the International Space Station is, even at $10,000 per kilogram instead of uh, instead of per pound, uh, that uh, the cost of putting every putting that much mass in that orbit is more than half a billion dollars. So that's where uh, to 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 uh, to remove it from that particular. Um, place orbit, uh, you know, um, and bring it down to something else, or to use parts for, you know, some other fashion or something. It's just ridiculous. And so I, I completely agree with you. You know, and, oh, well, I, I think the, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'll grant you, I may uh, suffer from the confirmation bias of being an engineer, but you know, I'd like mm-hmm. to think the, uh, the reality. Uh, the reality of the economics and fundamental fig- physics and common sense can prevail here. Yeah, I, I hope so. I mean, you know, people have to realize that the uh, the importance of uh, International Space Station is not in its mass or not in its material that it contains, but where it is. And mm-hmm. that's, it has cost a lot of uh, uh, mucho dollars to get it to where it is. And so Best way to do it is to use, utilize, uh, uh, you know, and keeping it in the same place and utilize it. Not necessarily exactly the same place, but you know, uh, some some orbiting in an orbit. transformation. <laughs> is, uh, yeah, guys, but, you I, know, basically that's that's the important aspect that I hope that people do realize. I want I want to read both of you a question that just came in from Stephanie, and uh, mm-hmm. Stephanie's in Baltimore. I don't get a lot of listeners out of Baltimore. Uh, Stephanie says, um, as a thought exercise, if we had saved Skylab, what would it be useful for today? 
The challenge with respect to Skylab was that we, uh, you know, it is it essentially was a um, uh, a refashioned uh, or rearchitected stage of a Saturn V. Right. Uh, that uh, you know it provided some extraordinarily useful information about what it would take to actually you know live and work in that environment. But there was a uh, there's a challenge not just with Skylab but also with Mir, where the uh, you know astronauts involved had to spend an extraordinarily large percentage of their time keeping themselves alive. Okay, uh, you know the so as a as a consequence uh, that you know it, you know uh, you know what um, what we did uh, with respect to what's become the International Space Station, was a tremendous effort to try and determine not just what could be done in space, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, creating, you know, laboratories and environments and, and the necessary infrastructure, but actually what should we do to have something that, uh, you know, could have a... Uh, uh, you know, an indefinite lifetime. Basically, build a facility, uh, and you know there is, uh, you know, there's a great deal of difference between a one-off, very limited lifetime activity, which is what Skylab was, and what mm-hmm. uh, you know what we the the work that's gone into um, the ISS. Uh, you know, don't get me wrong, the Skylab was a was an extraordinary thing, uh, and you know, uh, you know, uh, I. Personally, would have loved to see it, uh, you know, be maintained as a museum. Okay, but the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the path, uh, you know, the, the path with respect to using the Saturn V, you know, did not, um, didn't, uh, didn't pass the basic economics test. A way of thinking of it is, is that, in the, at the height of the Apollo program, there are over four hundred thousand people associated uh, with sustaining the program. At the peak of the space shuttle program, uh, there was over 40,000 people associated with sustaining the program. Okay, uh, the uh, uh, yeah, with respect to uh, you know space station, it is dramatically you know lower than that. Uh, you know, if you've uh, you know what you know what you can uh, you know uh, what you can do you know on a back of the envelope basis is you can. You know the the, the numbers, uh, you know, uh, basically, you know, drive you to coming through and trying to find out uh, what it takes to reduce the marching army of folks necessary, you know, to sustain to sustain a program. And you know, we're uh, we're heading in the right direction, you know, even with space station, but we've got to go a lot further. And part of this, you know, um, uh, you know, part of this, uh, you know, notion of using uh, the station as a TD cube. Uh, test bed is continue that work. Yeah, right. You know, if I would just uh, add something to, I, I mean, I agree with you with what you just said. Um, in in some sense, uh, there is kind of a fine line between what we should keep or what should, what we should not keep. Obviously, we know that uh, the upper stages of uh, most of you know um, our rockets of at least at this point in time are expanded. So if <clears throat> Skylab is 
uh, is kind of uh, at a higher level than that, but ISS is at a much, much higher level than that. So to me, there is a fine line, not a fine line, but, you know, a line between, one should look at it in, in that way that there is a certain um, uh, a certain line where the, below that uh, things can be expanded. So the question about uh, whether we should have, if, I mean, if an implicit question was whether we should have kept the uh, Skylab up until now in the same fashion as the ISS that you are proposing the ISS uh, to be, um, I think that that probably is not a very, very good uh, choice to make a very good uh, option to uh, to proffer to us. Because I think that that particular fine line or, or some kind of a line falls closer to expendable upper stages as far as Skylab is concerned. Of course, a little hard, much higher than that, but I mean, but not much, much higher. So at, uh, ISS, for ISS, we have spent incredible amount of energy and of course, the weight, of course, of ISS is obviously, you know, uh, a lot more than the Skylab was. Uh, so I agree that the Skylab, if it had been kept as a museum or, you know, some kind of a place like that for, uh, for anything that would have been, that would have been okay. Uh, but probably the cost would not have been, would not have been worth it. So it's, it's interestingly enough, uh, yeah, AJ, the, uh, yeah. uh the equipment that is actually in the Smithsonian yeah. is an actual uh, is an ac- was actual flight vehicle. Okay, uh, it could have it could have flown <laughs> if uh, if there is a uh, the political will to to, to have done so. So you know, I think we're in agreement there. Now um, there are a few things uh, that you know in in terms of the power and ancillary services beaming facts that we. You know, uh, should uh, you know, make clear, you know, the this, this notion of power and ancillary services beaming is science fact, not fiction. You know, um, you know, Dick uh, Dickinson and from JPL and Bill Brown from Raytheon set the world records circa 1975. For God's sakes, they took the Goldstone, had a 70 meter dish, turned it on its side, and uh, you know, pointed it at a target 1.6 kilometers away, and. Uh, now they got 30, uh, you know, 34 kilo, kilowatts DC over uh, you know, 1.6 kilometers. Uh, you know, in the uh, you know, the maximum end-to-end efficiency DC to DC output power is over 45, uh, over 54 percent, albeit in the lab at uh, you know 1.7 meters. Bottom line is, you put enough energy in, you can get what you need when and where you need it. Yeah, and the way. physics is frequency agnostic. But the uh, you know any uh, any particular ap- application requires the systems to be optimized to the use. You have another, um, Gary. You have another caller that came in. Sure. Let me know when you want to take it. Please. Oh, okay. No. Uh, hi, caller. No. Welcome. Sorry, to other the, people can call. Well, yeah. Welcome to the show. Who are you and where are you, please? Hello. Is you know, uh, David, it is me, AJ. Oh. I had called. I, I got disconnected, so I had to call back. Okay. Uh, but I'm going to I'm going to disconnect now, so other people can call. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thank you, AJ. Okay. Thank okay. you. Okay. Bye. So, listener, I didn't know he got disconnected. So the line is available. 
if uh, you would like to use it. And again, it is 866-687-7223. Okay, Gary, go back. Furthermore, the, um, you know, the efficient delivery of power financially services is a complex systems engineering and an economics problem. Now, as we've noted, uh, it's power being applicable to multiple venues. Uh, and, you know, with, in general, with respect to power beaming services, you know, there are no longer just in the lab. Uh, we've got field demos in work across the globe at this point and, you know, need to be scalable from, you know, you know uh, requirements that are less than a watt than to all the way up through gigawatts. Uh, they do require real-time link characterization uh, and uh, ancillary services are required for control. We've got to uh, uh, meet actual customer requirements uh, in order for any of this stuff uh, to ultimately make sense. And uh, the uh, you know it's you know it has to make economic sense for the venue and the application used. And the systems engineering needs to be reduced to practice. And you, uh, you have another call. Just letting you know. Great. You're you're a popular guy. Um, hi, caller. Welcome to the show. Who are you? Where are you, please? Hey, David, this is John in Fremont. Hi, Gary. Hello there. Go for it. Um, <clears throat> so um, I've been listening, and um, it's my understanding that the the ISS is, is uh, aging and becoming very difficult to maintain. In fact, the astronauts spend a lot of their time with just maintenance. And... Um, we're, we're working on a, uh, a transition to uh, private space stations. Axiom is uh, working on providing um, uh, orbital uh, facilities as well as Orbital Reef with uh, uh, Blue Origin, and uh, there are other companies working on that. Why can't this be done from those stations? And, and uh, you know, if we if we extend the life of the ISS, isn't, isn't that dangerous? Like, you well, know, I would uh, struggle to to look at look up the, the slide deck, uh, you know, for uh, for this presentation because in the beginning it addresses each of those uh, issues. But in in short, uh, what it amounts to is one, uh, you know, the uh, the ISS needs to evolve to support uh, this the commercial dysphoria. Uh, of activities uh, that you were alluding to, and it is actually that process has started. It's the, the ISS is going to be leveraged uh, to um, you know support uh, the institute checkout and evaluation of uh, the uh, uh, a number of elements uh, that will then be deployed in service of the nucleus for uh, a number of these uh, uh, a number of these opportunities. Also, uh, you know the uh, one thing. You know, when the uh, you know commercial elements, regardless of what orbit they they go to, are are tend to be uh, that are not associated with uh, uh, deployment, so you know proximate to the, the station, tend to be uh, in a uh, a longer time frame. We're in 2023. The station's going to be around until um, you know normally until uh, you know 2031. Uh, longer if we. Uh, now, if it you know, exists, succeeds in evolving, uh, you know, and uh, that, um, uh, you know, so that's going to, you know, uh, that is that's part of the, that's you know, a uh, a baked in 
uh, you know, part of, uh, you know, the, uh, the puzzle in those regards. Uh, the business with respect to the amount of time that is spent on, on maintenance, uh, you know, has not, uh, is actually, uh, has not dramatically increased with respect to space station. It is part of, part of what it takes to, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, if you look at the numbers for what it, their astronaut time is actually being spent on between what amounts to being the maintenance and operation of the uh, station versus uh, experiments. Okay, the um, uh, you know what uh, you know uh, what what you're what you're looking at uh, is uh, you know a, a graph that doesn't show a marked increase. Also, um, uh, Mike Reed, NASA Johnson, uh, you know led. Uh, a limited lifetime, a limited lifetime component study on space station and concluded that, you know, uh, you know, uh, given, uh, you know, given maintenance and change out of, uh, uh, you know, of, of, of necessary parts, uh, there are effectively no limited life, uh, you know, situations with respect to space station. Uh, it can be stick around as long as there's a political will. Uh, or, you know, no okay. uh, adverse thing happens. Part of an awful lot of what was done uh, with respect to the engineering of space station was designing, uh, you know, modules, uh, you know, pressurized modules that would not unzip, uh, designing, uh, you know, struct, truss structures that, you know, are well, uh, you know, uh, you know, have a, uh, a design life that is significantly you know, is fun to uh, is a functionally uh, indefinite. Okay, um, so it's you know it was you know intended to be intended to be infrastructure, and that can be leveraged. Um, back in the day, I owned the system level requirements for advanced automation and robotics for what's become the International Space Station, and um, you know, so I was uh, you know uh, you know, uh, you know in intimately involved uh, with. Uh, uh, what amounts to being, you know, all of uh, the uh, you know distributed systems and elements on the station. So I'm no 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 stranger to it. And please do look at uh, the uh, you know, the initial charts of this presentation. Uh, I uh, I take it I take strong issue with respect to the conventional characterization and uh, the um, I think the re you know, the reality of sound systems engineering needs to prevail. Okay, I, I I did look at the presentation, and um, uh, but uh, I uh, I have another question. Sure. Um, so so NASA supposedly is coming out with their long overdue assessment of space solar power uh, through the Office Office of Technology and Policy Strategy, and uh, this was announced uh, back in 2022 at IS. DC, and uh, it's a year overdue. So, uh, would would your uh, initiatives and, and strategy be worked into that, or have you been talking to those people uh, about? I absolutely, uh, I absolutely have been talking uh, to uh, those people. I was, you know, uh, uh, working. The principal author was uh, Nikolai uh, Joseph of that. Um, uh, for uh, uh, yeah, for for that office, uh, I have uh, that the report was completed. Uh, you know, it was circulated 
uh, amongst uh, you know senior management you know in NASA, uh, and it uh, was uh, you know uh, noted that it was a significant departure from uh, previous characterizations of the uh, NASA position. Now, if you want to account, what does that mean? Uh, you know, if you want to account for confirmation bias, uh, that means it could be, uh, you know, significantly more negative than, you know, previous NASA positions, in which case, uh, we, there are, um, we've got, uh, you know, significant geopolitical issues with respect to both our allies and potential adversaries. Uh, you know, concerning the same that we'll have to be contended with. Uh, if uh, alternatively it comes out significantly more positive than other, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, other uh, you know positions that have been taken, for example, by NASA, we also have, uh, you know, there's significant uh, you know geopolitical you know, repercussions with our allies and potential you know, adversaries, and also. Uh, there's a real problem. Uh, the um, there is no framework for uh, interagency, uh, you know, uh, you know, cooperation and policy with respect to space solar power in the U.S. government. Bureaucracies do right. not like to be surprised, and they do not like to be, in no way, shape, or form, want to be in a position where there is a policy initiative that they haven't already figured out a way of dealing with. Okay, so there is a. Uh, a real challenge there. Uh, my understanding uh, is uh, that the reason why the uh, report has not been, you know, released to this to date is because, uh, you know, it is, uh, you know, uh, it does have recommendations that were, um, uh, you know, significantly different than previously articulated NASA positions. Uh, the um, I believe that uh, you know it will be uh, released in in some form, but even before that, it has already initiated uh, you know a what amounts to being an effort uh, on both an intra agency standpoint, uh, you know, within NASA to come up with a uh, uh, work towards a coordinated framework, as well as an inter. Uh, you know, agency standpoint. I um, uh, there was a um, uh, you know a technology uh, uh, you know interchange meeting uh, hosted at NASA Johnson at the end of March uh, that included uh, you know representatives from most uh, you know NASA centers and other uh, agencies that have an interest in powering ancillary services beaming. Uh, you know, so there's. Uh, you know, there's, you know, a, I believe, a growing recognition that, you know, we need, we need a, uh, an integrated policy framework for this. And, uh, you know, we've, uh, you know, for various, you know, uh, we've seen significant things, including a, uh, a, a more, uh, uh, a far more pervasive interest even on the part of uh, you know the the military in terms of opening up uh, the work that they're doing uh, you know uh, into uh, you know the civilian uh, you know in, in public world. So Gary, what what you're 
talking about here is um, the need for leadership and coordination among all the different agencies, and that sounds like it should bubble up to the National Space Council so that we can, uh, you know, get some coordination among all the different uh, uh, departments. Uh, would you agree? Absolutely. And uh, the precursor discussions, uh, you know, uh, you know, based on uh, the uh, you know evidence that I've encountered, have begun uh, in those regards. Good, good. Okay. Well, um, my questions have been answered, and thank you for coming on. And uh, I'll let someone else call in, David. Thank you, John. Cool. Uh, thank you. Listeners, there's still time for you to participate. Eight six 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 eight seven seven two two three. Email Dr. Space at thespaceshow.com. Uh, back to you. The, um, now, uh, you know, when, we, when we're talking about this power and ancillary services beaming stuff, they indicated you know, we need to be looking at how we can uh, you know, reduce and reallocate systems complexity, mass, and or volume, cope with plug-in and plug-out technologies, provide for dispatchable energy transfer, which, you know, uh, fallout there is you can alter the cadence of mission operations. Uh, you can reduce, eliminate, or deconflict uh, what it takes to meet uh, your power and communication requirements uh, with, uh, you know, uh, with integrated, uh, you know, systems. Um, and uh, you can, you know, provide, uh, you know, the uh, necessary ancillary services in terms of position, tracking, telemetry, commands, time, and payload data, uh, you know, with a, uh, uh, you know, on a uh, uh, far more, you know, as a service, if you will, as opposed to uh, necessarily requiring, you know, any uh, uh, experiment or system to bring their own, if you will. Uh, we are going to have to, you know, learn how to, uh, Know, deal with uh, you know managing the different external environments for the different arcs of opportunity. Uh, we have to enable more practical electromechanical interfaces that are both robotic and EVA compatible, um, and uh, foster the identification and use of synergies with respect to power generation, storage, control, and distribution technologies. And uh, of particular importance is the uh, uh, combined electrical and thermal control systems. This is not just a power problem. It's a power and heat problem that uh, needs to be worked. Um, the, uh, uh, you know, any, you know, providing power and ancillary services, uh, you know, when and where they're needed is essentially to virtual all aspects of human endeavor and enables all forms of space exploration, development, and settlement. You know, how we go about... Uh, you know, uh, you know, bootstrapping this work such that each increment fielded, uh, you know, meets, uh, not only meets the needs of the present, but also serves as building blocks for the next increment is a challenge that is most certainly before us. Uh, and the construction of these evolving increments needs to be an intrinsic part of any mission infrastructure. And it's critical to determine, uh, you know, what these increments of scalable Interoperable modular power and auxiliary services needed, uh, you know, are uh, are going to uh, uh, you know are needed to support the various things such as uh, you know Leo Mio and Geo operations, cislunar logistics, you know, exploration in the cislunar environment and beyond, 
settlement in the, the lunar environment, ground and space threat mitigation, lunar and asteroid prospecting, space manufacturing, providing reserves and uh, proving reserves and uh, exploitation of the same, habitation and orbital debris mitigation. These are a few of the things that, you know, uh, you know, applications that can, you know, make a, not just be mission enhancing, but in many cases mission enabling. We do need to understand um, that with respect to the current state of the art, uh, providing viable power and ancillary services beaming to customers is effectively the null set. Uh, and that the necessary work to build viable and power beaming systems is not new physics, rather it is a complex systems engineering integration challenge and an economic one. And um, while there are multiple terrestrial and even some space-qualified technologies that could be leveraged to design viable end-to-end power generation, storage, and distribution systems suitable for multiple venues, the systems engineering of the same is nascent. Uh, accordingly, um, you know, the power and ancillary services beaming presents as an unresolved problem in solution space. And, you know, what we're, from an XISP Inc. standpoint, we're trying to uh, address this by generating, uh, intersecting and converging multiple technology development efforts to yield recommended sets of deployable power and ancillary services beaming infrastructure payloads. And um, we're, um, uh, you know, for... Um, from a you know commercial uh, space beaming applications, we're looking at you know this expansion of operational mission capabilities, uh, you know the you know creating usable power uh, per unit area that compares fav- favorably with the solar constant and uh, storage capabilities, multiplexed power and ancillary services. Um, it's you know uh, you know the, the fallout is uh, you know providing for situational awareness. Uh, enhanced, uh, you know, asset, asset infrastructure and uh, uh, design flexibility and paving the way for what amounts to being the Lunar Power and Light Company. And from a government standpoint, you know, the applications include uh, sustainable, interoperable, scalable power generation, storage, and distribution. And the, uh, you know, the frequency agnostic extension of uh, software-defined radios and laser communications and, uh, you know, situational awareness, which, uh, you know, comes at us, you know, not just, you know, from, um, uh, you know, a space weather standpoint, a, uh, an operation standpoint, but in a, from a security standpoint as well. So one of the things, uh, you know, the, uh, that we have, um, you know, in the presentation that I shared, uh, is a, uh, some descriptions of a phased approach to this. Uh, initially, uh, you know, with uh, uh, envisioned a uh, was a uh, remote services demo, making use of uh, uh, you know essentially uh, small sat and comparatively small scale uh, satellites and platforms, where what you're doing is you're providing um, you know useful power and ancillary services, proving that they can be delivered to a customer using modular, packageable, and deployable components. The uh, second phase would be, uh, as I was alluding to earlier, uh, essentially, uh, you know, uh, remote services uh, deployables where you provide, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, free flyer 
uh, you know, transceiver, you know, platforms, you know, uh, you know, making use of, uh, you know, a, uh, an ISS mounted transceiver, uh, you know, whether or not that is for space to space and eventually, uh, you know, for, uh, space earth activities, uh, you know, uh, going through and making sure that, uh, what, what you're doing is proving out that there are useful platforms that can be fielded, which provide power and ancillary services that can be optimized for delivery to some number of customers in some number of venues. And then the third phase really is, uh, you know, uh, taking, uh, you know, taking the space station using a combination of refreshed solar rays, an optional solar dynamic augment is originally specified, and potentially other generation and storage systems. <coughs> um, a spacecraft with thousands of square meters of photovoltaic array, uh, approximately 2,500 meters squared, uh, you know, uh, now uh, an integrated utility distribution in locations for multiple transceivers and adaptive re rectenna is potentially available. We're using a combination of the Cygnus and Dragon propulsion near term and an advanced water-based propulsion test bed longer term, which offer a long duration, low thrust and short duration, high thrust option and low energy trajectory solutions. The station altitude, altitude and orbital inclination can be altered. This would be a novel revolution for the ISS, obviating the currently anticipated end of life at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. Uh, it is, you know, by, um, now, pursuing this as both a uh, uh, you know, robot and EVA-compatible uh, TD-cubed payloads that would consist of scalar, scalable modular elements to enable remote services to support a dysphoria of commercial infrastructure, you know, uh, you know, ends up being a win. And the idea here is it proves useful remote power and ancillary services can be delivered on uh, a reconfigurable platform that can scale as well as retiring perceived in real cost schedule and technical risk reduction for large-scale space solar power infrastructure. So the, um, uh, you know, really in conclusion here, the space solar power and ancillary services beaming has transitioned from a conceptual mission ripe with opportunity to multiple missions with recognized standing across multiple NASA mission directorates and international partners. A confluence of interests biased towards successful execution of the mission as public-private uh, public partnerships can be defined. And the successful demonstration of uh, space solar power uh, and ancillary services beaming will, one, reduce the perceived cost, schedule, technical risk of space solar power systems, and two, uh, Pave the way uh, for the use of um, space solar power in multiple venues. Uh, you know, in our, you know, well, my uh, tagline on this is, "Don't wait for the future; help us build it." Uh, and uh, you know, this becomes the path to the lunar power and light company. I have an email question that came in a few minutes ago. Uh, okay. This is from Josh in Kansas. And he says, is there any national security component or military component to the ISS which would get in the way of your plans? Uh, no, and I can tell you that, uh, you know, there, uh, there's been uh, a significant interest 
uh, on the port of part of the FRL Space Force and what it is that we've been doing. Uh, I, uh, it's too early to make any, uh, you know, uh, you know, any, uh, you know, substantive announcement of how that interest, uh, you know, uh, you know, will, um, uh, you know, will, will surface. But, uh, you know, uh, suffice it to say, there is clearly, uh, you know, uh, the interests of, uh, you know, the, the, the Space Force with respect to understanding, uh, you know, space solar power and uh, an incremental, uh, you know, research, uh, you know, and development program. There is the, the SPIDER program uh, that is uh, currently, uh, uh, you know, current under, currently underway uh, through the Department of Defense with a significant amount of funding, uh, and uh, they are making a deliberate effort uh, to engage the broader community. So um, I, uh, you know, I think that uh, there's increasing opportunities uh, for, uh, you know, synergistic work and alignment there. Um, as we conclude the, the show, what is your personal next step? What, do, what does Gary do next? Gary is turning in a proposal to a uh, government agency uh, Tuesday afternoon uh, <laughs> that um, uh, you know is uh, uh, you know quite quite extraordinary. Uh, something I never thought I would be writing. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, in uh, you know, in, in the current context. So I'm basically what uh, what my goal. Is to uh, you know pursue uh, you know in uh, a an opportunity essentially to leverage my uh, work of uh, concerning uh, the intersection of computer science and space systems engineering to support the uh, you know necessary management operations and control uh, architecture architecture implementations essentially the control that. Uh, uh, space solar power systems will need, and uh, you know, help provide uh, a framework uh, for um, uh, for for seeing uh, you know this this work realized, and that uh, you know that entails uh, you know working with uh, with NASA, working with the uh, Department of Defense through multiple agencies, uh, working uh, with. Uh, uh, our various international partners, working with our commercial, uh, you know, partners, including uh, engaging the, the broader community of interest in uh, growing cislunar uh, a commercial diasporia, uh, both in low Earth orbit and on, and to um, you know the lunar activities. We're heavily engaged with the uh, uh, the Lunar uh, Surface Innovation Consortium, you know, uh, you know work. Uh, for both uh, you know, power and in-situ in resource utilization in terms of lunar activities. So we see an, ex, you know, a, an expanding opportunity. And the, the deal from a, an XISP perspective is, is we're trying to help create markets. We're tilting at what constitute general problems that uh, you know, many other entities uh, you know, cannot you know, can't just go write a business plan for and uh, show how they're going to, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, get a uh, intellectual property lock on something. Actually, what we're doing ends up creating markets. 
okay, to the extent to which it's successful, uh, which, uh, you know, uh, you know, we, we hope to, uh, to make money on, but, uh, we're, uh, are, we're outcome driven. Can you tell us what your proposal is for and who gets it, or is that being held to Well, right I now? can offer, uh, uh, I can offer some, uh, some insight, uh, into that. Bear with me a moment. Uh, you know, my, uh, uh, proposal is dealing, uh, with, um, uh, you know, a, uh, how one provides for dispatchable, scalable, and sustainable power and ancillary services beaming, uh, when and where services are needed. Uh, and, uh, it's looking at, uh, you know, what amounts to being the, uh, uh, you know, the, you know, can, you know, the frameworks for, uh, conceptual engineering through shared control for, uh, you know, power and ancillary services beaming applications on both an end to end and piecewise basis. Essentially, you're, uh, we've got to go and figure out how it is that we, uh, reduce, uh, the systems engineering to practice and this is a shared tool set for doing so. Okay. You have a final question that came in. Uh, this is from uh, Fremont John or John Jossie again. While your approach to extending the life of the ISS beyond 2030 makes sense to me, and I totally agree that it should be retained in orbit as a heritage site, I believe the formal NASA position is to retire the ISS by 2030. Your initiative seems to be an uphill battle and will need congressional support. Are you working with the Alliance for Space Development in addition this initiative to their and putting this initiative in with their March Storm lobbying efforts. I am absolutely, uh, you know, uh, you know, in, involved with the folks in the Alliance for Space Development through the Space uh, Development Foundation. We're actually part of uh, the part of the ASD, and we've been advocating this and uh, their, um, you know, their support of the uh, space solar power positions in those regards. And uh, while the, uh, you know, the, the current, um, uh, you know, NASA position is that the space station uh, will be uh, retired and deorbited circa, you know, 2031, uh, you know, you can do the same thing for many different reasons. And what we're advocating is we work to mo- make the most effective use uh, of, of the space station uh, you know, in terms of enhancing and evolving its utility and its support of the commercial diasporia. And uh, by doing so, if it turns out that um, uh, we, uh, you know, end up using those capabilities to, uh, you know, extend, uh, you know, the, the life uh, in whole or in part of the space station and it's transformed as, as it's transformed, that's great. We're not a priori as, you know, telling NASA that they have to. What we are doing is saying we should have some options, and we should absolutely understand what they are, and we should do what it takes to bring those options to the table. Okay. Um, Is there anything we should have asked you or brought up that we have overlooked or forgotten? Well, uh, I'd encourage everyone to to look at the presentation, and 
feel free to reach out to me uh, by uh, by phone or uh, you know email, uh, and let me know uh, you know what you think's right and what's not. You know, the, I'm making no claim to immaculate perception here. Uh, if you could imagine the idea that a pragmatic robotic space systems engineer is not an oxymoron, I'm arguably the embodiment of the same. Okay? okay. I, you know, I spent a large portion of my life, professional life, breathing life into what's become the International Space Station. Been mixed up in every phase in this epic, from the original, uh, uh, you know, mission requirements working group through, uh, uh, through uh, you know, uh, building ISS, and you know, I'd like to uh, uh, I'd like to see that uh, you know made the most effective use uh, you know of uh, play forward. Well, keep us informed, and uh, we'll be happy to to bring you back when you have some news or something to report or something interesting that you think we should know about. Let us know, okay? Cool. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you. I enjoy talking. Uh, interacting with all concerned, and, uh, you know, again, don't wait for the future. Help us build it. Okay, and I'll get this probably up and running by this evening, and I will send you the URL uh, uh, for you to have and, and use it if it's helpful. And uh, cool. I look forward to seeing you again, if not sooner, at least at the next ISDC. Indeed. Thank you very much, Gary. Take care. Listeners, that's it for today, and uh, we thank you uh, very much for being with us, and uh, we are over time, so uh, let me just shout out to our sponsors once again, uh, rather than reading their full statements, Northrop Grumman, AIAA, Helix in Luxembourg, the National Space Society, Celestis, Astrox, Dr. Heim Benaroya, and the Space Foundation. We would not be doing this program without them. Please note their banner ads, check on their websites, see what they're doing, and uh, we'll talk more about them in a future program. Thank you all. Have a good rest of the weekend, a good safe week. And as always, do keep looking up. And goodbye from Gary, David, and the Space Show.